Whopper's Cage, episode 22. My name is Jason Moore, a.k.a. Dime Collector, and I have a special guest here today. Actually has been in the Whopper's Cage before and survived without a single scratch. We've got John. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. You got to give him my. You got. I mean, I know you want to introduce me by name, but you've got to give him my uh, my moniker, otherwise I won't know who I am. Well, that's true, and I'm sure people will be very familiar with your ID on MTGO. This is, of course, New Plan, who is not only a great popper player, but tends to play in other formats such as Modern and Standard. In fact, you were just picking up some qualifier points right before we started this call. Is that correct? Yes, yes, I was playing a, a modern daily event, and uh, I, I was I was hoping to get the call started and split in the last round. My opponent didn't want to split, and so karma got him, and uh, and I, I I beat him badly in two games. So what are you gonna do? Cool. So before we kind of get into our topic today, which is mono blue Delver, one of the absolute best decks in the format, one of the most prominent decks in the format. I just wanted to kind of brush up and uh, catch up with you since you've been here last. It, it has been quite a long time. And I wanted to let people know that you actually appeared on Popper to the People and had a fantastic, I, I would call it a miniature clinic on how to crush daily events. And so I, I highly recommend people check that out. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, did you want to just tell people a little bit about what you've been up to in terms of playing Magic or anything else? Sure, sure. Uh, as far as playing Magic goes, it's been a while since I've been on the show, and I was I was on uh, I was on Mono Blue Control in Popper. I'll talk about my evolution of my Popper decks because uh, I don't think Modern is nearly as interesting. Um, and Popper, I had a little progression. I went from Mono Blue Control to Mono Blue Post Control. Not like some people play Mono Blue Control, Mono Blue Post, where they play around Temporal Fissure, and that deck is, I would probably say, more consistent and more winning, but it's just it's something I found it very dull to play because it's very repetitive and it's do the same thing, and you know, your opponent makes a small mistake and taps out, and you just sit there, you put a cloud of fairies, and you tap, and you untap, and you bounce it, and you tap, and you untap, and you know, you ghostly flicker, and you make mon every time you go through, and then eventually you storm off his board, and then you beat him down with a cloud of or or a Ulamog if you draw your one Ulamog. Now the most prominent aggro deck is uh, Stompy, where I had an okay matchup, and Affinity, where I just had a terrible matchup and I had no way, to, no real way to shore it up to well enough to win. So I cast around for a new deck. Even though the topic today is Delver Blue, the the deck that I came up with is a uh, is a blue green control post. So just because I like to watch post players cry, I like to watch blue red post players cry, and the deck definitely does that. That's where I am in Popper right now, and I've played I've played a little bit of Delver just because Delver is always a fun deck to play, and it's got a nice it's got a nice high skill uh, a skill cap, meaning if you play it well, you can do well with it, and there's always a lot of play to it. There's always a lot of options and a lot of different play lines you can take, and you can really affect whether you whether or not you win the game based on what you do. So let's go ahead and get right into the heart of the matter, and that's going to be Mono Blue Delver. And we're going to start by just doing a general overview of the deck. So why don't you take it away and talk a little bit about a typical game plan, if there is such a thing for this deck, because it is quite dynamic, and how the deck is going to usually win a game. 
Okay. So in, in people talk about, you know, deck archetypes in magic and, and I'm sure everyone is familiar with, you've heard, you know, you, you know, there's, there's aggro decks and there's control decks and there are combo decks and then there are decks that sit in between the two, in between the two pieces, right? There's aggro combo, which is uh, affinity acts like aggro combo in that if you drop uh, an atog and you have a disciple of the vault on the board, Every time you make your dog bigger, you drain your opponent of life. So you can actually get your opponent to the point where all you have to do is drop an atog and you've won. So that's a combination of aggro and combo. And then there's control and combo, which is I like to think of post as sort of a control combo deck, which is it, it, it controls the game until it builds up its infinite mana engine. But its infinite mana engine is just lands that make way too much mana. So that's sort of a combo. <laughs> Delver fits into the joint of two of those uh, main archetypes, and it's aggro control. And aggro control is a very famous deck type. They aggro control decks run loose every once in a while, and they're thought to be very oppressive because when they're played and they're played well, they're very difficult to beat because what they do is they drop a threat on you that you have trouble dealing with. And let's let's say in Delver, a typical Delver win would be they drop a turn one Delver. They flip the turn one Delver on, on the second turn, and now they have a, a beater for three in the air. What did they reveal to flip it? They revealed a counter spell. So they drop their, they drop their second land, and now all of a sudden, you've got a three power flyer coming at you, and at the same time, your first removal spell, or your first spell that you're using to get back into the game, is dead in your hand. And you know it, because he revealed, he revealed counter magic off of, off of the Delver. So, You've got a dead card in your hand and you've got dead time is what you have because you can play around the counter spell by forcing him to use it, which you take your time and his time. But time is on his side because the Delver player has a Delver hitting you and running out your life total. That is how Delver wants to win. How Delver can also win is Delver can drop multiple Delvers on, 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 drop a Delver on the first turn, drop a Delver on the second turn, or drop a Cloud of Fairies, untap, drop another Cloud of Fairies. I don't know how much everyone follows Standard, but right now in Standard, Burning Tree Emissary is a huge deal, right? Burning Tree Emissary is, is, is a Cloud of Fairies, is a flying 1-1 Burning Tree Emissary. Because Burning Tree Emissary, you drop it, and you get two mana in your mana pool, and you use it to drop the next threat, right? Delver has that. Except you untap your lands, and then you can drop another threat, or you untap your lands, and you can sit on your untapped lands for counter magic. So it's actually even better than a Burning Tree Emissary, except it only has one power. So you can drop a huge number of threats and play an aggro deck, and, and empty out your hand by turn three or four, and and beat your opponent down that way. And the third way you can win is you can actually you can control the game. So you have an opening hand and you look at it and you've got some library manipulation and you've got a little bit of bounce and you've got some counter magic. So you prevent your opponent from doing what they want to do. You prevent your opponent from setting up and playing their game. And then you drop your threat that later in the game is, let's say, a spire golem and you drop it for free. Then you hit him with it, and when your opponent has no blocker for it because you prevented him from dropping it, you drop a ninja, and then you restock your hand with a ninja, and you build up a huge card advantage, and then one for one, you trade with your opponent's spells, you trade with your opponent's creatures, one card for one card, but you're drawing more cards than he is. 
so that you win win the de- win the game like a control deck does. Now it's it's not as equipped to win the game as a true control deck is because it just doesn't have as efficient tools to remove your opponent's creatures, but it is equipped pretty well to deal as an aggro deck and it's equipped very well to protect the board position that it establishes by using cheap aggressive creatures that's sort of how the deck wants to win i think you've done a really good job of talking about some of the natural strengths and weaknesses in the deck uh with your description here are there any other just general i guess pros and cons to playing delver that you wanted to talk about in terms of just its composition in and of itself well, you can build your Delver deck in, in a, di- in a lot of different ways that we'll, we'll get to in the next, in the next section, right? You know, and your, and how you build it sort of dictates what you're stronger against and what you're weaker against. You can make it more aggro, you can make it more controlling, you can make it have a little bit more resilience by having a little bit extra card draw, uh, that kind of stuff. To me, the main, the main and most important weakness of the deck is that it's, it's 20 something percent of the field, it's 26 percent of the field or something like that, or 26 percent of the decks that plays. And so everybody is ready for it in some way, shape, or form. No one builds a deck and says, well, what do I do against Delver? And they say, nah, let's just hope I don't face Delver. Somebody has a plan against Delver. Everybody has a plan against Delver. And you know what? There are a lot of plans against Delver that are very effective. The, the disadvantage is that everyone has a plan to attack it. The advantage is it's got a very good, resilient plan to prevent your opponents from targeting in and attacking it. And that kind of ties into why people sh- maybe should or shouldn't play the deck. They need to keep yeah. both of those things in mind. Do you think this is a kind of deck that caters to a certain type of player or maybe a certain play style in particular? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's here's look, there's just you, you kind of... When you play Magic for a while, you kind of learn what your preferred deck archetype is. There's a certain type of player who likes to play aggro control. They like to play flexibly and they sort of, they sort of, they see a game and they say, you know what, I've got cards, you've got cards, and I want to outplay you. And that's how I want to try to win this game. I want to make you make a mistake by committing to the wrong thing and I'll make you pay for that in some way. And that's sort of the archetype of player that, that Delver appeals to and that Del wants to play Delver. Fantastic. So we can go ahead and move on to the composition of the deck itself. There are a number of variants of this deck, as you mentioned already. So let's go ahead and start, I suppose, with some of the win conditions. You've already talked a little bit about Delver. Uh, did you want to talk about that maybe even more in depth or some of the other win conditions that are, are there built sure. in? I think this, the deck has, the deck has some broad categories, right? It's got one, two, three, four, five, six, and then sort of a seventh category that some decks play and some decks don't, right? And the seven, the seven categories are, it's got card selection, it's got cheap threats, it's got card draw, it's got counter magic, it's got creature removal or tools to deal with creatures, and then it's got resilient threats, which are the, the late game stuff or the stuff that it will use in the late game, and then it's got a little bit of information gathering in Cataxian Probe, uh, which not all of them play, um, some of them do play, and believe it or not, the, the probing portion of the Cataxian Probe is actually very valuable for Delver, because if you're trying to outplay your opponent, Knowing what's in their hand is very useful for that. As far as the win conditions go, the win conditions are are a mix of the cheap threats and the resilient threats. Um, the cheap threats 
things like Delver, which is played all the time in all of them, Phantasmal Bears, which are very fragile, but at the same time, they're a 2-2 for, for a single blue mana, which means that before your opponent can do anything, you have a 2-2 on the board. Um, there are a few others. There's Cloudfin Raptor, which no one's really played yet, uh, but I think probably has some pretty good potential, especially with the fact that Frostburn Weird is now, is now a card. And then there's some others that are, that used to get played and don't get played. There's things like Zephyr Sprite, which people used to play it up their fairy count because for, to make a uh, spell stutter more effective. Um, and it was a one, one flyer for one, but mm, almost no one plays that, that card anymore. Um, and some decks play bone splitter, which is another cheap threat. It's, it's sort of two power that you can attach to any creature at any time. Those are your cheap threats. Your, your other way to win the game are your resilient threats, which are the threats that are, that your opponent is going to have a lot more trouble removing because there are just fewer cards that kill them and they don't trade very favorably in creature combat. And generally in Delver, those are Spire Golems, Stitch Drakes, which are not always seen. Some decks have them, some decks don't. Stitch Drakes work very well with Phantasmal Bears because Phantasmal Bears die to anything and stitch tricks require that you exile a card from your grave uh, exile a creature card from your graveyard to bring them into play um frostburn weird which are very good uh at at typifying the deck they're both aggressive and they're controlling they're good on offense and defense because if your opponent has nothing on the board they're they can be a 4-1 attacker and if your opponent has guys on the board and you have two of them you can attack with two and the one that he blocks becomes just big enough to kill his blocker, and the one that he leaves unblocked goes up to four power. Uh, Stormbound Geist is the other resilient threat that I can think of for the deck. And Stormbound Geist is the undying 2-2 flyer from, uh, it was an Instrad or Dark Ascension? It was from Dark Ascension, um, where if it dies, it, it comes back with a plus one, plus one counter on it the first time. So those are your resilient threats, and those are your cheap threats, and that's how it wins. And a lot of people choose different mixes of those, somewhere between 18 and 25 creatures. But the ones that are always there, every single time, are Cloud of Fairies, Spellstutter Sprites, Delvers. Four, four, four. Those are your base 12. And four ninjas. Those are your base 16 creatures. There's your win cons. So how, how does it use them? It, it, it drops them, it protects them, or it lets you dispose of them when it has a better, when it has a better one in its hand. And there's all kinds of synergies between each of them. They're all evasive, and the ninja, the ninja is very effective with evasive guys because they can't be blocked, and then an unblocked guy, you, you can, you can hit them with the ninja and draw your card, and eventually take over the game with that. So those are the, uh, those are the threats. That's how it wins. So if we want to get to the other the other categories, yeah, definitely. I mean, to have a win condition, you've got to search it up. You got to be able to draw it and dig for it. So why don't we go ahead and talk about some of the card draw, the cantrips, and the library manipulation that this deck has available to it? Sure. the the standard The standard library manipulation suite that it plays with is some combination of ponder, preordain, and brainstorm, um, and 
like the same way that Zephyr Sprite occasionally got played because it had a two-pronged effect in the fact that it, it was a guy, an early guy, it enabled a ninja, and it pumped up your fairy count for your spell stutters. People occasionally, once in a blue moon, will play a card like Sage of Feeder, which is a 1-1 one, one for 1 that lets you look at the top four cards of your library and rearrange them however you please. So that will enable you to flip a Delver and enable a ninja at the same time. Brainstorm has a lot of interesting interactions with Delver. You have a Delver in in play, and you have a Delver on your upkeep, and you can play a Brainstorm and take a, an instant or sorcery from your hand and put it directly on top of your library with with the Brainstorm, and use that to flip your Delver, even if you don't have a have an upcoming one. That being said, I would say that most of the Delver decks out there don't run Brainstorm as much as they run Ponder and Preordain, simply because Brainstorm is not nearly as effective when you don't have any way to shuffle your library. So if you play Brainstorm, you look at the top three and you put two cards from your hand on top of your library, and if you were digging for something and you don't find it, then you still have two cards to dig through to get to a card that maybe you want to see, as opposed to preordain or ponder which you look at the top for ponder you look at the top three cards and you can shuffle your library or not and preordain you look at the top two cards of your library and you can pick one or both of them to keep on top for flipping a delver the only way to flip a delver with a preordain is to keep both cards on top so just just so you know that if you're playing the deck and you're thinking you're thinking i want i don't want both of these cards but I, I want to guarantee my Delver flip. You have to think, what's the Delver flip worth? Is the Delver flip worth the guaranteed Delver flip worth the card or not? So that's another little tension you have in the deck. Ponder is uh, like that, only more so, because you've got to keep all three of the cards with a Ponder as opposed to just one extra card with a Ponder. So even if you don't necessarily like any of the cards or you like one of the cards, you keep it, and then you've got to draw through two cards that you don't necessarily like just so that you can set up your flip. There's your card selection. Your card draw is much more limited than uh, than a lot of the uh, the other blue decks in the format. And the best blue card draw in the format is generally thought to be Muldrifter, because Muldrifter comes into play, it provides you a nice 2-2 body. Worst case scenario, it can be used as a divination if you evoke it. And then if you evoke it, you can still play some other tricks. Like if you're blue black post, you can, you can play an undying evil on it and, and you, you get your Muldrifter and you get four cards. Delver doesn't play it because Delver doesn't want to tap out for five mana to play a creature because then Delver will be completely vulnerable when the opponent goes. So instead, Delver plays uh, cards that it can get for free. Um, and what does it get for free? It gets it gets attacks with ninjas for free because it wants to be attacking the opponent anyway. Gush. Uh, Gush is a uh, draw two at instant speed, but as an alternative casting cost, it costs normally costs four and a blue, and as an alternative casting cost, you can return two islands to your hand. Gush is very good for Delver because it can enable you to play as if you have an extra land. Because you can tap two of the lands, return them to your hand, drop one of them, tap it again, and then even if you didn't have a third land, you play as if you had a third land. Or if you didn't have a fourth land, you play as if you had a fourth land. Those are your card draw spells. Some decks actually play Accumulated Knowledge or Think Twice. I don't personally like either of those cards in Delver, but if I were to pick one of those two to play in a Delver deck, I would go with Accumulated Knowledge because you've got a lot more flexibility to play a two-mana spell as opposed to 
a two mana spell and then play again later a three mana spell, which is just a little bit slow. Uh, yeah, that's your, your card draw and your, and your card selection. All right, sounds good. So why don't we talk about the creature removal then? Okay, it's, it's, all right, so we got Snap which uh is the classic most associated with Delver. Um it is a it is it's very simple. It's a return target creature to hand for one and a blue and then you can untap two lands. So you use it, you untap and it's as if you didn't use a spell at all. So you keep your you keep your position. The spell is sort of the spell is free monowas. The other cards that people play, you play pir- people play Piracy Charms, Vapor Snag, which I actually like very much for Delver, because you're not often bouncing your own creatures, and adding that little sting of a point of damage when you're doing it is very useful, because Delver is trying to chip away at the opponent before they can get set up and and doing uh, a a little you know doing a little point a single point of damage to them while you're preventing them from advancing their board really helps you out a lot other cards that some people play echoing truth that's not commonly played but it's it it can be played um it, it's it's much much less prominent now now that empty the warrens is gone because people used to play it because it had dual use you could use it against uh, creatures, as well as you can use it against all the tokens to just destroy them all. And repeal, but repeal is, is not really for, not really as much for Delver as it is for, uh, other blue decks that have, that have big mana and want to, uh, want to prevent the opponent from playing their game. And personally, a card that I think that is really, has a lot of potential is Hands of Binding. Because you have, all, you have evasive creatures and Hands of Binding acts as a removal spell. A double removal spell the first turn you play it, and then a single removal spell later turns. That, I think, would be very useful for Delver. But again, I haven't made it work yet, and I haven't seen people playing it yet. So maybe uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that that card's got some potential. But that doesn't that lead us into our next little segment, which is the counter magic, right? Yeah, definitely. And this is one of the more frustrating aspects of the Delver deck for the opponents, of course, uh, so why don't you go ahead and break down some of the counter spells that are usually played and maybe a few others. Sure. I think of the purpose of the counter magic in the Delver deck is, is you want to use it to buy time for your creatures to bring the opponent down to deal the opponent 20 damage. It's not like uh, in a blue control deck or in a post deck where it's prevent the opponent from playing their game-winning spell. It's prevent the opponent from preventing you from winning the game. That's sort of what your purpose in your counter magic is and how you think of your counter magic. And the counter magic in a Delver deck is a is a three-pronged attack. It's It's got counters that are specialized at stopping expensive spells that your opponent taps out for, which are which are things like Days and Force Spike. Uh, Days, of course, is exactly functionally identical to Force Spike, except for to cast it, hard cast it, it costs one or a blue, um, and an alternate casting costs you return an island to your hand. So that that's the one end of of the counters, and then and then the middle of the counters is you've got you've got Counter Spell, you've got Deprive, you've got Exclude. 
some Delver decks run, which is counter creature and draw a card for two and a blue. And there's deprive, which is counter spell, except you return an island or you turn a land to your hand to cast it. And then there is the other extreme, which is anti cheap spells, which is spell stutter sprites. So now when you look at that, that's a very irritating and difficult combination to play against, isn't it? Because how do you play against, how do you play against a uh, force spike? So if you wanted to play a round force spike, you would actually have to wait an additional turn to hit another land drop and have the mana open to kind of pay for that. Okay, so you you wait you wait your turn where Delver would love to you for you to wait a turn. Okay, and how do you play around? How do you play around counter spell? Well, <laughs> it's pretty hard. It depends on what you're playing. I suppose you could have your own counter, or you could try to bait a counter out with a, a maybe a less relevant spell of your own. So once again, you're going to have to delay your own plan and, and wait another turn or maybe even two turns to try and get slip something through. Exactly. So, so the idea is, the idea is counterspell forces you, counterspell makes you want to play in a certain way. It makes you want to play two threats in a turn, mm-hmm. which there's a lot of tension there with days though, if you think about it, because let's say you play two threats and your, your first threat they counter and then you tap out for your second threat, then they can daze your second threat. So the two actually synergize very well together. Yeah. And then there's the third prong, which is how do you play around a spell stutter? Well, how do you play around a spell stutter? Well, that's <laughs> that's pretty tough. It's all about converted mana costs and how many fairies they actually have on the board. So, it's right. I mean, you could try to remove their fairy or something, but all of but, these. But the, the idea is you want, but, but you want to play a more expensive spell, right? Sure. So that's that puts you in complete tension with the other elements of the counter magic game. Absolutely. Yeah. So it it all works together as a synergistic whole to advance the strategy of the deck. And the strategy of the deck is I want to get a lead and then I want to hold on to my lead through the entire game for long enough for you to go from 20 to zero. That's that's the counter magic in Delver. And that's how that's how Delver's got to play its counter magic. And if you think about that when you're playing as you're playing Delver, you'll approach it a lot better, and you'll you'll as the Delver player, you'll play better, and you'll also play better against Delver because you'll think you'll 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 think about what spells are critical and whether you want to counter them, and at the same time, you'll also think what's going through the the Delver player's head, and you'll be able to know which of the three elements of counter magic he has. Because certain certain plays he would love to counter, but maybe he doesn't counter something that's expensive. And if he doesn't counter something that's expensive, but he but he's sitting on mana, you can say to yourself, ah, he has a spell stutter sprite. So I have to put him in a situation where if he tries to counter me with a spell stutter sprite, I can make him pay for that. Yeah, and that's some great information too. Just to mentally put yourself in their position. And think about the tools they actually have available to them. And using that sort of process of elimination to narrow it down will really help you make some better plays in these games. So the only thing I can think to tell you is from the Delver perspective, you want to remember what your counter magic is there for. And your counter magic is there to prevent your opponent from playing his game for long enough for you to beat him to 20. So what you use your counter magic on has to be has to keep that in mind. Do you have more threats in your hand? Well, then don't prioritize his removal as much as you prioritize him setting up and advancing his board. 
you know, a blocker is a blocker that does something when it comes into the battlefield is worse for you than a removal spell is. A removal spell is a one for one and you have more threats and you're likely to have another threat in your hand. That kind of thing. And it's difficult. It, it takes, it takes feel and, and there's always a lot of lines to play with Delver. And that's why the deck has, that's why the deck has certain players really like it and play it all the time because they can play it and feel like they can play the deck and let and the deck gives them a chance to play against the other player in a battle of wits definitely all right so why don't we go on to another portion of the deck here you wanted to talk a little bit about cataxian probe and are there any other miscellaneous sections of the deck that you might want to bring up at this point um well i guess we can talk about the cyborg and the cyborg choices but we can talk about those when we talk about all the matches right so but yeah just cataxian probe is just Again, really useful for the Delver player for two reasons. I mean, one, it's it's great to have it just to smooth through your deck and a, de- and a card that you literally can play with for no land. You know, for just two life, you can you can draw a card. At the same time, the part that lets you look at your opponent's hand is actually very useful. It tells you whether or not you should be trying for a turn two ninja because maybe a turn two ninja is something you do want to do, and some maybe it's something you don't want to do depending on what your opponent is holding. Because a turn two ninja is is fantastically powerful. It starts you drawing cards, but at the same time, it's a big tempo hit to you if it gets lost because your opponent can kill it, and then you've got nothing on your board, and you're tapped out, and they untapped, and now your next creature has to come out with them having their mana untapped, which is the opposite of the situation you want to have exist. Things like Cataxian Probe really help you make that decision to be certain about that decision, as opposed to some players Some players do it by feel or by what, what are the probabilities, you know, how many removal spells does he have at instant speed that can deal with my ninja, how many, uh, how big of an advantage would I get by having the ninja, how much am I favored in this matchup, so how much of a chance do I need to take, that kind of thing. And uh, here's a little thing, and I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't give one at least one play trick to uh, everybody listening to this. You can use a ninja on another ninja. So if you have enough mana and you have a ninja that's attacking and it's unblocked and your opponent, you know, you, you were attacked with the creature and you played your ninja and you, you bounced your original creature and your opponent goes to bolt your ninja. You now ninja your ninja. And then the bolt fizzles, or the or he does that with a quicksand, and the quicksand is used up, but the new ninja is in play. And then once you do, once you have two, you can do that as many times as you have two mana. So that's a little trick, and I'm sure everybody knows about it. But you know, I feel like I've got to give at least one play trick in the uh, <laughs> in a podcast. All right, so that should cover the the composition of the main deck here. Now we can go ahead and start talking about uh, mulligans and opening hands with this deck, which is a pretty dynamic part of playing it in general. So why don't you tell us, you know, what are some ideal types of opening hands? What are some key components you want to look for? Uh, when you're looking at that opening seven. Sure. The, the ideal opening hand is, is pretty easy to describe. You've got two lands. That way you know that you don't have to draw a land right away to make your second land drop. And usually you can operate on two lands comfortably for a large portion of the game or for at least two or three or four turns. You can comfortably live on two lands. You've got some kind of threat and another threat. So that you've got something to do with, so you've got something to do with your mana. So again, we're describing a dream hand. You've got some counter magic so that you can protect your threat. And ideally, you've got, let's say, a daze and a counter spell. 
so you can you can protect your threat after you're tapped out or like a daze a ninja a bear is a great combination of cards to have in your opening hand if you've got the monitor if you've got the two monitor to use the ninja because that enables you to play your ninja to draw the card and then still have a counter spell for any removal spell that he uses that he'll tap out to do which is tremendously powerful that does set you back to two lands but again the deck your deck is operate built to operate on two lands and the final element to have and this is just nice to ensure that you can transition into the uh into the middle game smoothly is uh, a little bit of library manipulation so it's good to have your you play your threat protect it get a little bit of an advantage you've got your counter magic you stop his answer then you play your library manipulation and you move on to your next answer for his next answer and your threat takes it to the next stage of the game and you make your land drops and you then move on with growing your board and dropping more threats while at the same time still having counter magic up and that can be really deadly, especially when the opponent's slipping up, maybe not hitting their land drops and stuff. It can really take the game far out of their hands in no time at all. Okay, so from there we can talk about how well does this deck actually mulligan? Because I find that with decks, they're not all created equal in terms of how often they mulligan and how confident you can be in going down to those lower numbers with, you know, keeping a six or keeping a five. And lastly, you know, when should you start mulliganing aggressively, you know, depending on who your opponent is and things like that? Well, how well does Delver mulligan? I feel like Delver mulligans very well. Um, I would say it does not mulligan as well as decks like Post do, because those decks are built to cheat on mana and then draw a bunch of cards. But I feel like it does mulligan better than a lot of other decks, because the idea of the deck is... Delver wants to end the game when both players still have cards in their hand, which is an unusual position for an aggressive deck, right? An aggressive deck oftentimes, like a red deck wins, can't possibly win. A burn deck can't possibly win when you and your opponent both still have Four cards in your hand. Well, your opponent might still have four cards in your hand with red deck wins, and you can win. But how can you win with four cards in your hand with with red deck wins? It's impossible. You need to use every single card up to gain resources to 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 win the game. Delver, on the other hand, actually has some replenish has some replenishing things. It has it has some card draw in it. It's got gushes in it. It's got some. It's got ninjas. It's got a few ways to draw cards, and it's also just trying to keep the opponent down for a while and not forever so it doesn't need to answer everything it just needs to answer everything they actually do until you did 20 to them so i feel like it does mulligan pretty well um, on the scale of aggressive decks i feel like it mulligans pretty well but i feel like it doesn't mulligan as well as some of the more controlling decks that have bigger recovery cards Okay, and one thing I actually would like to know about is how important are things like like the ponders and the preordains in terms of making a hand keepable to try and dig yourself out of maybe like a tricky situation of a low land count or something like that. Does that kind of contribute to the deck mulliganing a little better? I, I actually don't think I've ever mulliganed a hand that has an island in a preordain or an island in a ponder. Literally never. Because because what that, that means is, if you look at it, part of your advantage in playing 16 lands is that 
you don't need to draw cards because over a game when your opponent has 26 lands and you have 16 lands, that means ten, you know one out of six you you get every one out of six draws you draw an extra spell over them. That's part of your advantage. And if you have six spells in your hand and you have library manipulation and you have a land, that's great. That just means that you've got that many more spells. So now you know what you need to pull when you pull library manipulation. You need to get rid of anything that isn't an island. And that's that make that's very clarifying unless it's more library manipulation. You know, sometimes you can keep a library manipulation spell and if you ponder into another into a preordained or something like that. The lands that you, the hands that you should mulligan are if you've got way if you've got too many land, like four land is questionable. It's got to be those three spells that you have better be pretty good if you're going to keep a three spell if you're going to keep a three spell hand. Obviously zero land, and then any one land hand that doesn't have library manipulation or a delver or a bear or anything to do because then the tempo loss that you that you would have by missing that turn it would just it would just be too great for you to survive. Fair enough. So from here, we are going to actually take a five-minute break before we get into the Mono Blue Delver matchups. And I just want to say that I think you've given some great information, so I'm looking forward to breaking into these matchups. But let's go ahead and take five minutes before we do that, and uh, we'll be back right after that. Excellent. Let me refill my glass of water. Welcome back, everybody, to the second half of Popper's Cage, episode 22. We've got John here in the cage still, and it's time to break down the matchups for Mono Blue Delver. So what we're going to do here is talk about, you know, what matchups are favorable, which ones are unfavorable, and talk about how the games are going to play out in addition to the sideboarding aspect, which is always very critical. So... I think what we'll do this time is actually start with the mirror match and talk about the mono blue Delver mirrors because I think these could be pretty complicated as a whole. And uh, I'll go ahead and let you take it away. And we can skip whether or not they're favorable because it's usually going to be a 50-50. <laughs> or, yeah, it's you know, definitely going to be close to 50-50. <laughs> yeah. And, and also definitely dependent on the, the relative builds of each deck. So... Uh, we can kind of skip that and maybe talk about, you know, how the games are going to play out in these Mono Blue Delver mirrors. Okay. Well, the match sort of falls into a couple of different phases. And the first phase of the match is, does someone have an absolutely perfect nut draw that's going to prevent the other person from playing their game at all? And is that person on the play? Uh, and that's the first two questions that, that get answered with how, how does a Delver mirror match work, or as far as a Delver mirror match game one work. If someone has a great draw and they can put out an early Delver and flip it and then protect it, they can, they can win the game and the other person can never be in the game, just like if the other person were playing an, a non-Delver deck. Assuming that the game doesn't come down to a degenerate game like that, assuming that the game comes down to a real game, the key and most important card in the matchup is Spire Golem. Because why? Well, Spire Golem is, is a card that Delver really just doesn't have any very good answers to. Delver has, has Snap to handle it, but basically Delver can either counter it or that's it. 
maybe it can double block it with a uh, a delver and a and a fairy. A flip delver and a fairy can kill it. But other than that, spire golems are the absolute key. So what you have to do is you play cautiously and you play around your opponent and you know that the the battle of the game will be who resolves more spire golems because if you resolve two spire golems then your opponent's one spire golem can never attack if you have one spire golem and he has two then he can they, he can always attack you on every turn with a pair of spire golems as you can block one of them and you take two and you take two and you take two and you take two and eventually the game ends you know everything else is unimportant it really is there's there's no other way to put it there's nothing else in the match matters Besides a spire golem, I mean a spire golem will stop a delver. A spire golem will stop any any of the fairies. A spire golem will stop a ninja. A spire golem will stop another spire golem. So you've got to basically play around, making sure that when it push comes to shove, that spire golems are that the spire golems are on your side. So how do you do that? You try to force your opponent to use mana on their own turn. Make a play in his upkeep if you've got a if you've got a play for his upkeep, or make a play at the end at the end phase of his turn to try to get him to to counter it. Uh, run a gush out on his turn. If he if he counters your gush, then he's he's got mana tapped down for your turn, and you may have lost out on a gush, but two cards aren't as important as getting that as getting that spire golem into play on your turn. So play with that in mind. But now, of course, your opponent knows the same thing. So he knows that maybe he'll let that stuff go on on your turn, on his turn, and try to battle you when it comes down to dropping a spire golem on your turn. Or maybe he'll just go for it, figuring that you don't have the uh, the counter magic to stop him. Uh, either way, that's the battle, and that's the whole match. So the match can take a long, long time to play, depending upon how both sides of it resolve, because if after a battle on your turn you tap out, he may very well just have his own spire golems that he was waiting on, and he'll play them on his turn, and then and then you're back in a tie situation. And now all of a sudden no one can attack at all because you can't get through. And then and then the matchup can go nearly to time, depending on, that, on how that situation works around itself, and you have to figure out how to incrementally get an advantage, like you do in every other mirror match, right, where you can't rely on a draw. Post-board, um, there's a second key card. Post-board um, adds serrated arrows as another key card. So you bring in extra counters, he brings in – well, you bring in counters or maybe you switch what your counters are because let's say you've got Dispel. So you can bring in Dispels for Deprives because Deprive has a little bit of a downside and you know your opponent's going to have instants, so you can use Dispel on that. Um, you bring in your Serrated Arrows to stop his fairies as well as to shrink his uh, Spire Golems. Um, and you now play your game around who resolves Spire Golems and who resolves Serrated Arrows. Yeah, one of the things I noticed about Serrated Arrows when I was playing this deck is that it makes Spire Golem no longer able to fight Delver of Secrets once it's yes. split. Because yeah. its toughness is just that right size to die, and its power is just that right size not to kill the Delver. Exactly. So did you have any other uh, tips for people here? The only thing I really wanted to say is that this is going to be something that, as a Delver player, people need to get used to because you're going to be playing these mirrors. Yeah, you definitely are. All right, here's a here's a, a card choice that you can have for your main deck that if you have it, you've got a big edge in a Delver matchup. But it's not necessarily good against everybody else, which is Una's Grace. 
Because Unus Grace, the idea is over a long game, you draw a lot more action than your opponent does. Uh, once you get to about maybe five lands, you really don't have any use for a lot more lands than that unless you're going to have a huge counter war. So, so, you know, you can start looting away your lands with Unus Grace. Some Delver decks play it. Not a lot, not all of them, but in a Delver versus Delver match, that's a, that's a card that's definitely on your, that's, that's a card that's definitely giving you a nice little edge. There's another card that isn't in the, this particular list that you played, uh, which is also included in the show notes here, that I think could be pretty useful, which is Piracy Charm to kill off unflipped Delvers, kill Phantasmal Bears, um, you know, use it as a combat trick or even using it for the Island Walk or the Discard could be relevant. So I think we can move on to our next matchup here, and that is going to be, is it Cloud Posts, which is, Still, the predominant, you know, control deck of this format, the dedicated, oppressive control deck of the format. And then we can branch out from here and talk about any variations of Cloud Post you'd like to. But for now, we'll focus on the blue-red. You know, how do you feel about the matchup and who does it favor? And I think, I think the Cloud Post player is, is pretty favored. You? I think it actually depends on the build, you know. I I, I really feel like the is it post deck could tune themselves to to make it uh, completely obliterate a deck like, well, not completely obliterate because you know with this deck one of the things that makes it so robust is that it, it's it's hard to completely hate out because it has so many angles that it can outplay you with. But I do think the build is going to depend. I have heard a lot of testimony to this deck being. Pretty resilient against Cloud Post, and it's really going to depend on how long the game lasts because things like Mole Drifter and, and just those card advantage plays that Cloud Post makes can, I guess, uh, steer the game more towards their brutal end game, which I don't think the, the Delver deck is as suited to, to combat. Uh, but at the same time, you know, just having a, a Delver Seekers draw backed with a few uh, early tempo and early counters can steal games uh, at the same time. So I think yeah. it's, it's pretty uh, close. Well, I agree. I, I agree with that assessment. But I, I tend to think that overall, I tend to think overall that that it's going to be that it's usually going to work out in the in the post player's favor, unless you can engineer a set of circumstances where their deck doesn't work. Um, which doesn't really feel like you played a magic game and you won, but you know what? That's part of what magic is, and that's part of how aggro beats control is that controls, control decks didn't work that game. You know, they didn't get to play their game. So, so if you think, if you keep that in mind, that's how Delver can win, and that's how Delver isn't just, I mean, it's, it's, I'll put it this way. Delver has a much better post matchup than something like Mono Blue Control does. Like Mono Blue Control is a terrible post matchup. The similarities are the blue and the control elements, but the differences are that the Delver is a much more aggressive version of the deck. And so it's the aggro backed up by the disruption that, that gives Delver a chance. And that sort of teaches you how you should play the matchup. You know, once he resolves a Mole Drifter, the game is over. You are very, very unlikely to win if he actually successfully resolves a Mole Drifter. That's how I feel like. That's why I feel the match is unfavorable. Because I feel like when both both decks play their game, their game trumps your game. But on the other hand, when both when, if your deck plays its game, his deck doesn't get a chance to play his game. Do you want to go a little more in-depth with how a typical game is going to play out? Because, you know, one of the post uh, advantages is that they're very well equipped to handle these creature-type strategies 
early on with cheap removal and stuff like that. Sure. I, I'm just going to pull up. I've got a results from a daily event in front of me, and I'm just going to pull up a random cloud post deck because there's always a cloud post deck. Here's an is it post and a controlling is it post. It's got creature control wise. It's got a capsize, two electricery, two electrostatic bolt, two flame slash, one lightning bolt. And one Rolling Thunder and one Serrated Arrows. So Serrated Arrows, Rolling Thunder, Lightning Bolt, four Flame Slash is seven, two Electrostatic Bolt, nine, ten. So that's 12 creature kill spells. So he's got 12 ways to, to just sort of eliminate your guys that are on the board, that are resolved. And and some of those are, are two-for-ones or better. At the same time, he's got to spend a whole bunch of cards like... He's got three compulsive research. Compulsive research doesn't do anything to affect the state of the board, but it's necessary for his deck to find answers for you. He's got a, he's got things like condescend and deprive, things that are very good for keeping your threats off the board or keeping other control decks from attacking it, but not necessarily very good when you resolve your threats before he can establish his, his mana advantage. As far as sideboarding goes, what you can do, what you can bring in, you can bring in your protection from red creatures. Some some decks run uh, Weather Seed Fairies, some decks run Sea Sprites. So the pro red flyers are very good because they dodge his removal, but again they're not invulnerable because he's got he's got serrated arrows, he's got capsize, and he's got muldrifters to block. So those give you a, an advantage. It's nice to resolve those, but uh, you know those are not automatic wins against him. But the the one card that you're running almost entirely for his deck and for mono black control is Stormbound Geist. Stormbound Geist is a very nice card against him because it means that he has to spend of those twelve precious removal spells versus your twenty two creatures. It means he's got to spend more than one getting rid of one of them. That means that gives you a nice window to do damage to him. There are other sp- there are other creatures that you have that don't die as easily to his things, so you have to make sure those don't get countered. Things like spire golems. Spire golems only die well. They die to electrostatic bolts and flame slashes, but they don't die to lightning bolts, electricery, stagger shock. Uh, you know, there's there's a there's a game plan that you have to play, and it has to do with the fact that you've got to use more resilient creatures, and you can't let him get away with three for one of you with the serrated arrows. So you've got to disrupt him. You've got to keep him from getting uh, an advantage by digging through enough of his deck and arranging his draws in a perfect way. And then you've got to and you've got to beat him down before he can get established. Um, so there's also the Demir Cloud Post deck, which is blue black. It's not as popular, but it has been showing up every once in a while. Did you have anything else to add in terms of that matchup? Well, you don't have you don't have Hydroblast anymore for them. You've got to use Dispel. You don't have any protection from black because I don't you know there's no blue protection from black in the in the format. You just get to use Stormbound Geists. So you're likely not as ready for Demir Post as you are for Izzet Post just because you don't have as many tools against Demir Post as you do against Izzet Post. Everything Demir Post has kills your stuff. It doesn't just do damage to it. It's not like some of your guys are a little more survivable. I mean, like, he's got multiple spells that'll kill all your things. Um, okay, so that, that'll wrap up the Is It and Demir Cloud Post decks. And now we'll kind of switch it over to the premier aggro deck, I would say, in this format right now, which is Mono Green Stompy. Really? You think, you think, uh, Mono Green Stompy is the premier aggro deck and not Affinity right now? I actually kind of consider Affinity as a separate category of more aggro combo or even in some 
instances, it's more of a mid-range position, and you know, against these blistering fast decks. But you know, Affinity does have its very fast starts as well. Um, so I, I think it's just more of like a, a difference in categorizing. You could definitely compare them in terms of popularity, though, though right now, because Affinity has never been as popular as it is at this moment. No, I, I, I agree with your assessment. I just I, I wanted to ask the question. In terms of mono blue Delver versus mono green Stompy, how do you feel about you know the matchup for the Delver player and how a typical game is going to end up playing out? My mind, in my mind, how I think a typical game is is going to end up is going to be the Stompy player is at like six life and the Delver player is at like two life and the Delver player has a flipped Delver on the board um, and along with two spell stutter sprites and maybe uh, a spire golem in play and the stompy player has like a creature that has hunger of the hal pack used on it and maybe like a aquarian ranger and maybe a silhana ledge walker and who wins the game depends upon who has the next turn <laughs> that's how i think the game usually ends up ends up looking near the end you and they are both are both playing aggressively. They've got a faster, pure aggro clock, but at the same time, you've got a huge trump in the fact that, one, they don't play anything at instant speed on your turn, so you don't have to worry about that. And two, you've got spell stutter sprites, which literally stop every creature in his deck from hitting the board. That's gigantic. And Rancor is sort of like a creature. Because it's, it's like repeating sources, it's a repeating source of damage, you know, that, that comes down and it doesn't die when you kill the creature that's on it. Your spell stutter sprite is your key card or is your key advantage over them. So play with that, keep that in mind. Your second other advantage that you're using to make up for the fact that you're slower than they are is your Frostburn Weird and your Spire Golem. They have, they each have four toughness, which is significantly bigger than anything on their side of the board. He's got free pump and gather courage in that he can tap a guy and use gather courage. He's got a whole bunch of pump that pumps by four. So he can use that to uh, to win creature combats against you. So he's got Groundswell that does that. He's got Kicked Vines of Vastwood that does that. And then he can always be setting up for a trade so that way he can use a Morbid Hunger of the Hal Pack on a creature that you can't deal with, like a Silhana Ledgewalker, which has Hexproof. Um, a giant Ledgewalker with a Rancor on it is an unwinnable situation for, for you as a Delver player. So don't let that happen. So then work backwards in how you beat him. So you beat him by your evasive offensive guys, namely your Delvers, go through and do a whole bunch of damage to him, and your big-bodied, big-butted, high-toughness guys stand in his way while you use your counter magic and your snaps to protect those guys from being killed by his pump spells. And then eventually he runs out of pump spells, and you draw your card draw, and you can win the game that way. And then after sideboarding, you should definitely have something for Stompy because, like you say, it is the premier aggro deck in the in the format. When I played a Mono Blue Post, I preferred to go with Coast Watchers as my answer because Coast Watchers is a very good defensive card against Stompy because it sits there and it blocks anything that he has infinitely. Yeah, and can you can you refresh people's memories on Coast Watcher? Oh, sure. Coast Watcher is one and a blue for a 1-1 one, one flying protection from green. So it's the, it's a, uh, 
instead of protection from red, like a like a sea sprite is, is which is the exact same card but protection from red, uh, it's protection from green. Coast Watcher isn't really a Delver card. It's it's blue, but it's not a Delver card, and I recommend that people don't run it in Delver decks because it doesn't really get you where you want to be. Where you want to be against against Stompy is you wanna you need to beat him. You need to beat him while stopping him from beating you. You know, and then again, you have to be very careful of him after sideboards with uh, playing out uh, scattershot archers because those are just miserable against you. They stop you from countering things with with fairies. He can untap them with Quirion Rangers and use them to kill your flip Delvers. Uh, oftentimes, if those resolve and you have don't have a way to deal with them, you're dead because he'll he'll just prevent you from playing your game at all. So I'm guessing that Coral Net is going to be a pretty big game in this in this matchup in particular. Can you talk a little bit about that? And that's that's a bit of a unique card. So can you let people know what that one does? Sure. Coral Net is an old card, and it's from Torment, and it's actually really weird um, as far as a magic card goes. I'll let you articulate why it's so weird. Uh, or if you can identify why I think it's so weird. The text of it is it's an enchant creature. It's an aura for uh, for a single blue mana, and it can only enchant a green or a white creature. And it gives the enchanted creature, at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice this creature unless you discard a card, right? Yeah. So why is that un- why is that so unusual? What what about that is so weird? To me, it doesn't fit blue <laughs> hardly at all. This sounds much more like something maybe even black would do, uh, making you sacrifice a creature or discard a card. And uh, I think it's kind of strange that it also will enchant either a green or white creature. I don't know if that has to do with the set it's from or necessarily, but white and blue typically are, are considered buddies. So this is this is straight up betrayal right here. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it on both of them. I you know I think that sacrifice this creature unless you discard a card from your hand that might be blue. Because there's there's cards like Sleep out there, and there's other cards that – or the, uh, Sleeping Potion, I think it is. There's other cards that like tap a creature unless you discard a card. But that is definitely more black feeling than blue. And, and, and yeah, enchanting a green or a white creature is just weird. Uh, <laughs> that is just strange. So uh, that is a very good card, and the reason why that's a, that's a good card is because they will empty their hand. Uh, it's just inevitable. They will empty their hand, and at that point, this card is is just removal, and it gives them the chance to make a bad choice on top of it. Um, do you, do you have any other sideboard notes on this one, or are we good to go? I tell you what, in Delver, Counter Magic is actually just as good against them because in Delver, you're having you're having creature combat, and and Counter Magic serves as a trick because yeah. it serves to stop his tricks. So he makes it. He 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 uses a trick. You stop his trick, or he drops a creature. You stop his creature. Now, Quirion Ranger. Here's a little trick that you have to be aware of. So you're you've got to take your your Phantasmal Bears out against Stompy, and I'll tell you why. Quirion Ranger. You can they can return a forest to untap target creature, which kills a bear. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah. So again, I think I think the key is 
Keep your big-butted blockers alive. Look out for Hunger of the Halpack on a ledge walker. Your spell stutter sprites are very good tools against them, so don't just spend them willy-nilly. Spend them where they're important and make sure that they affect the game because they affect, because they stop almost all of his blo- they stop almost all of his plays. And uh, Snap is another very good tool against them, either snapping your guys when they've committed to trying to kill one of your blockers or snapping one of their guys if they don't have the ability to use the Vines of Asward on it and blowing out their their use of multiple pump spells. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about another really popular deck, and that's Affinity. And definitely having its day in the sun uh, during this era of Popper right now. So how about this matchup? I, I like this matchup for Delver, to be honest. And as much as, you know, Delver is still a blue deck and, and Affinity sort of, uh, Affinity feasts on blue because it turns your, it makes your counter spells a lot less effective by basically having no mana cost on any of their spells. But Delver can play with them because Delver is, in some ways, faster. Affinity has, if you, if you look at their deck and, and, and you look at their, their games, they basically can't drop any creatures on turn one. Unless they're playing Caraclan, Shaman, or Disciple of the Vault, and those creatures aren't threatening creatures, those are, those are sweepers, those are, you know, or, or combo elements. So, they don't do anything on turn one. On turn one, you have some serious threats. Turn two is when they can start to drop things, starting with a Carapace Forger on turn two. That's the earliest they could drop a Carapace Forger, and the earliest that it could theoretically be a uh, it could be a four four if they dropped a, 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 a star, a terrarian, or a or a, a springleaf drum on the first turn. You know, you and you've played you've played Affinity, right? What's the biggest problem with Affinity from Affinity's perspective? Can be very clunky with its uh, four color, usually four color mana base, so that that can really screw you up, especially early in the game when you're trying to cast all those spells. Forget about it. Exactly. And so, how does it overcome that? It's relying on a lot of uh, color fixing, as you're mentioning these these turn one plays with the stars, these colorless, uh, I guess, uh, mana generators. Exactly. So, so basically, they have they have things that are ideally suited. Now, I'm not saying you should be stopping their. I'm, I'm not saying you should be using your counter magic on their on their chromatic stars or anything like that. That would not be a good idea, and I don't think that's a sustainable way to win. But the idea is they have a clunky deck that actually has trouble getting all of its casting cost and getting off of the ground. So they have a very powerful deck. But they have a very powerful deck that sort of just goes from – it doesn't accelerate from 0 to 60 very fast. What it does is it spends two or three turns going from 0 to like you know, 40, and then from 40 to 60, it's the fastest deck in the world. You know, It, it drops four, four fours on the same turn. So, all right, you drop, they dropped all of their four fours. Let them attack you. Just don't let them kill you, and and you've to, you have to continue to race them because you accelerate much more smoothly out of the gate than they do, and you have a much better early game than they do in the sense of the early game of the first three turns of the game. So we should go ahead and go into the uh, I guess some elements of the sideboarding, and I think this is another matchup where Hydroblast can do some work. Yes, Hydroblast does a ton of work in this matchup. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some blue artifact, not hosers, but I guess artifact combat cards such as Steel Sabotage and Anul? Sure, there's Anul and Steel Sabotage are the two big ones, and and they're both they're both 
counter they both let you they both have a mode where they let you counter an artifact for a single blue mana and they both have another mode um and steel sabotage's secondary mode is return an artifact to your hand um and annul's secondary mode is counter an enchantment so those are the those are the two counter spells that people think of when they when they when they play that and I'm not partial to either one of them when I play against Affinity, and I'll tell you why. The only real artifacts in his deck that are a threat are the Mirror Enforcers, and he only runs four of those. I don't think I want to have cards that are only useful for countering a Mirror Enforcer. Instead, or Steel Sabotage, the idea is just to, you can use it as a snap on a Mirror Enforcer or a Frogmite or something like that. I don't like that as much against him. What I do like is a little touch of your anti-green cards. So if you're running Coral Net, I bring in, I bring in at least a couple of Coral Nets against him because they're very useful against Carapace Forgers and you can always use your Frostburn Weirds to trade with his Mirror Enforcers and then leave your Coral Nets to deal with his uh, Carapace Forgers. And I like the anti-red cards because he's got four instants that do damage to you and kill your creatures and he's got four dangerous, dangerous creatures that are all red. They oftentimes bring in duress, which, you know, it's, it's good against you and there's little you can do about it except for, except for spell stuttering it to gain a little bit of an advantage. And the other thing to be careful is when you see the expensive guys, when you see the uh, Quicksilver Behemoths and when you see the, um, Somber Hover Guards, you have to be very careful that your opponent isn't playing a Rush of Knowledge version and baiting you out with other, with other plays so that you don't have a counter spell when he has a, a card that basically says, says to let him draw seven cards, which if he does that, the game is over and he's won. They don't really have anything very good against you in the sideboard, except for Electricery. Electricery is kind of a mess against all of your fairies, but you know, you're not careless of playing all of your fairies out if you don't have a way to protect them, are you? Let's go ahead and move to the next matchup, which is White Weenie. And I, I'll just go ahead and say a few quick things from my perspective. I'll definitely let you take take it away from there. In my personal experience, I've had quite a bit of success against Faye, but of course White Weenie is a deck that I feel very comfortable playing. So it's one that I can pilot. I, I feel fairly well. And the skill level of Delver players does vary quite a bit. So... You know, I can't say that I've played against top players very often. I've had a few run-ins with Mezzle in particular, but uh, that kind of colors my experience personally. But you being the Delver expert, we'll go ahead and let let you uh, speak on behalf of the Delver deck and talk about how this matchup works. Well, we'll go with a little history on on this. You know, not the not the boast, but I was one of the earlier players of Delver in Popper, and a long time ago when it first came out, when Delver was first available. And there was a thread on PDC Magic, if you if you read it, which has a a very good forum on Magic uh, about Popper. There's a thread on there that talked about good matchups and bad matchups, and talked about the deck composition and all that stuff. And um, I made a post. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? This thing is very good against Storm, and it's very good against this deck, but it actually has a lot of trouble with White Weenie. And somebody was like completely incredulous. So like, oh yeah, you're telling me the deck that goes and drops, uh, you know, a hundred goblin tokens on the second turn of the game, that deck you handle no problem, but a, but a deck that drops a couple of creatures and is all that, you know, all fair is something you just can't deal with. And yeah, that's actually the case because White Weenie is just the ideal of why like the fair deck beats the deck that's built to beat the unfair decks but loses to the unfair decks itself. 
they drop a threat, and their threats are bigger versions of your threats. So everything they drop is just a little bit better than your stuff. You have Spire Golem, which is a 2-4 flyer for, you know, free, and they have Razor Golem, which is a 3-4 vigilant ground guy for free. So that's slightly better than your guy at racing. You have Cloud of Fairies, which is a free 1-1, but they have Leon and Sky Hunter, which is a 2-2 flyer. So it outclasses your flyer for the same cost. All the stuff they do just a little bit outclasses you by a little bit. And they're the only really other deck in the format that that has a lot of flying in it. So you don't even really have like uncontested ability to like set up a race where you control the guys that get to hit him and then you control the guys that get to hit you also like you do against Affinity and Stompy. So yeah, White Weenie is actually unfavorable for Delver in general. You play it as best you can and uh, as best you can is try to control their key cards, things like Squadron Hawks, because Squadron Hawks are just too many bodies in the air. And the most important card for you to stop is Bone Splitter. With a Bone Splitter, every creature on this on, on his side of the board is a deadly threat and you can't deal with it once it resolves because you don't have any way to you have no way to interact with it once it resolves so once it resolves he puts it on on a squadron hawk and he attacks you with the squadron hawk and then you either block and trade with a one for one with a squadron hawk which puts him ahead or you take three white weenie is just not a a great matchup for delver and it's just you know you just you're lucky that it's just not a popular build so uh moving on to the sideboard here you do have some things that, that can help out, especially serrated arrows, I think, is one of the big ones to mow down some of those smaller creatures and shrink some of the bigger creatures down to size. Yes, you have serrated arrows, but they also have access to artifact removal, which you don't have, and they're going to bring in against you because they know that your big trumps against him are serrated arrows and spire golems. And oftentimes the way they're dealing with them is uh, like a core sanctifiers, a kicked core sanctifiers. Sometimes I would consider playing stormbound geist, depending on how heavy they are on the flying. You can trade with it the first time with a with a sky hunter, and then the second time you can trade with a you know with with a sky fisher. Now, a nice trick that you can play on them is you can, if you've got only one creature in play and they journey to nowhere, you can always snap your only creature and then force them to use the journey to nowhere on their own guy. Also, you know what? Coral net. Because how can you forget that blue, blues, white hosing cards, all of those that it gets. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, you've got Coral Net against them as well. But, you know, Coral Net is, is, is definitely very good against them. Um, ninjas are less good against them because they're always going to have guys on the, that, that get in the way on the ground. Bears are terrible against them because of Ication Javelineers. You know, Ication Javelineers don't, it's an, it's a way to not spend a card and to, uh, to kill one of your creatures, which is just the worst thing you can have happen. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that 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 is the satisfied smile of someone who uh, of someone who's made that play many a times. Isn't oh it? yeah, javelin yeah. ears look very good when they come down turn one in this matchup. All right, yeah. well, I, I will stop gloating here and we'll go <laughs> ahead and move over to another monocolor deck. And another one that is not as popular right now, but does show up every once in a while, and it's mono black control. So this will be yes. interesting because they've got a ton of removal at their disposal, but uh, you got to try and I imagine fight through that and counter some of their relevant plays too to, 
to get an edge over them. So why don't you go ahead and take this one away? Sure. Um, I would say that, that the rating of mono black control can be anywhere from very favorable to very unfavorable, actually. Uh, well, I wouldn't say very unfavorable, but it can be for anywhere from very favorable to unfavorable, depending on how much they really want to beat Delver. Remember how we were talking about Piracy Charm a few minutes ago in the uh, about the Delver Mirror? Yeah. Pi- piracy Charm is actually a a color shifted version of an originally black card, which was Funeral Charm, which does the exact same things except, as Piracy Charm does, except for instead of giving Island Walk, it gives Swamp Walk. They've got access to that. They've got access to Disfigure. They've got access to all sorts of cheap removal spells. Cheap removal spells are very good <laughs> against you because they enable them to play more than one spell per turn. Playing more than one spell per turn is your big weakness. Then beyond that, they've got another way to sort of get past your shield, which is free spells, spinning darkness, which enables you to exile the top three black cards of your of your graveyard rather than pay the mana cost, and does a three point drain life to a creature. And then and then there's another one which is snuff out. If you control a swamp, you can pay four life rather than the mana cost of snuff out. And it's from the same set. It's from the same block as days and invigorate. <laughs> but uh, so don't be so upset with it because you're still getting days. <laughs> And days is actually, I think, more useful to you than, than snuff out is going to be to them in general. But, um, so that enables them to make their play, you counter their play, and then they kill your guy. So there's actually a set of cards that they can play that are very good against you. And then to top out, to, top it all off, they have a 1-3 pinging creature, which is a Kumbaj witch. Or Kumbaj witches. I think it's just Kumbaj, but Kumbaj witches. That deal one damage to, to a target of their choice and one damage to a target of your choice. Now, all, you've got a bunch of, of creatures with one toughness. They don't have a bunch of creatures with one toughness. In fact, they have hardly any creatures with one toughness unless they play Liliana Spectre. So, they actually have a very good tool set against you depending upon how much they want to beat Delver. You know, if they completely sell out to beat Delver, they will never even win a game against Post. You know, but how do you play the game if they're not a completely selling out to beat you deck? You've got, you've got a bit of a tension and you've got to manage this tension. And the tension is this. They've got hand disruption and they've got potentially board sweepers. And so hand disruption and board sweepers work really well together, right? Because board sweepers mean if you drop all of your creatures and they drop a crypt rats, they can wipe out everything. But at the same time, if you don't drop all of your – if you don't drop your hand, they can use wrench mind on you and get value out of it and get two for one – two for one you with it. The other aspect is racing against them can be a little bit iffy. You have to make sure you've got counter magic for them with their life gain spells. Now, they generally don't want to play the life gain spells. If they're if they're set up to be Delver, they're not going to have Corrupt, and they're not generally going to have Tendrils of Corruption because they don't want to commit to a four or six mana spell to drain a guy. So it's sort of a package, and they, they've got to design a synergistic whole deck just the same way you have to design a synergistic whole deck. So you have to figure out where they are and what they're doing and what choices they made in designing their synergistic deck, right? They need to have life gain if they want to have Crypt Rats, right? So you can kind of figure out what's in their, in their deck based upon what they're playing. 
Um, if you see a Liliana Spectre, that means they're not likely to be playing uh, Kumbach Witches because those two combo together terribly. As far as the sideboard goes and as far as beating it goes, uh, the first thing is you have one card in your deck that basically turns around and has normally has normally has lots of different values, but in this case loses a whole bunch of uh, loses a whole bunch of its modes in snap. Uh, you're, you're never going to snap his creatures because all of his creatures have entered the battlefield triggers. So you really don't want to have snap after your sideboarding. You do want to have dispel depending on how many, uh, depending on how many removal spells he's running at instant speed as opposed to sorcerer speed. And he will be running a lot of instant speed removal spells. You might want to play serrated arrows, but I don't think you usually do just because I don't think you want to be controlling his creatures. I think you want to be defending your creatures and beating down. Um, and one card you definitely want to play against him is Stormbound Geist, because Stormbound Geist is, is like a nightmare for his deck, because it means that he's got to remove it twice. Okay, sounds good. So we've just got a couple decks left uh, here, just a handful. We're going to go ahead and move into some of the mono-red decks in the format, beginning with Goblins, everyone's favorite Swarming Tribals deck in Popper. Yeah, and they've gotten a they've gotten a nice new addition too, didn't they? In uh, in Gate Crash. Yeah, they did the the new Foundry Street Denizen, I think it's called. But the good news is this is I would say this is an even matchup because again it's the same way that it's 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 an even matchup for the same reasons and playing out in similar ways but not identical to Stompy. Spellstutter Sprite is is a very nice trump against him because no matter what he does, it can be countered by a Spellstutter Sprite. Now, the thing that he has that trumps your trump and that ultimately is his is his uh game-winning play is the Death Spark. It's it's got to be taken into account when you sideboard, if you've got Relic of Progenitus, it's got to come in against Goblins specifically for that card, because that card will that card will just eat your lunch. You've got your advantage, your advantage over him. He's got an advantage over you in that he's got Reach. He can go directly to your dome after after he does a whole bunch of damage to you with creatures, and he's got Death Spark, which is a very good controlling card against you. So those are his advantages. Your advantages against him are he has trouble with Spire Golems. He has trouble with Frostburn Weirds, and after sideboarding, you've got protection from red creatures. He doesn't have protection from blue creatures, and he really doesn't have a lot of ways to deal with protection from red creatures. The only thing you have to be careful about is if if he if he makes an attack that looks very suspicious to you, look out that she doesn't have um, flaring pain. The other thing to keep in mind is that is that again, like I said earlier, he only has creatures, lands, and burn. So if you're not seeing lands out of him and you're not seeing creatures out of him, it means he has a handful of burn. So so play around that, play correspondingly. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've lost to goblins when I've been like, all right, well I'm stable now, I'll do this, and you know I, I'm at ten, and then he burned me out from ten because I I, I foolishly didn't think. Well, what can he be holding? It's difficult to say what you need to do in the matchup. I mean, you need to try to counter Bushwhackers because those are going to win the game for him. Things that are really dangerous to you are things like Sparksmiths. Uh, Sparksmiths are, are a very good trump on his side. He's got he's got a good set of trumps to deal with your guys, and you've got some trumps to deal with him. And so, you know, it's a it's a nice even battle. One of the things I like so much about Popper is that is how every color is so pure. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, in that it's, it's got a deck that emphasizes an aspect of the color. 
Yeah, that's very cool. So let's go ahead and talk about the, I don't know, second cousin of goblins, which is Mono which is Red Burn. Burn. Yeah, Burn, I think, is much better matchup for you than Goblins is. Whereas I think Goblins is even, I think Burn, you're fa- you should be favored. Um, you know, and of course, it's, it's, you know, it's Burn and it's fast, so they can, they can easily still win the game out of nowhere. But, um, here's the thing. Here's the thing about that deck is, if you look at his hand and you multiply, and you multiply it by three, that's the worst case, that's basically the worst case scenario of what you're looking at. So just make, so assume he's holding Burn, and, you know, count his cards as if they're Burn, and, and, you know, you, you'll have a good idea of where you stand. Don't tap out and let him, don't tap out and let him burn you to the dome. The most dangerous card in his deck is Kiln Fiend, and keep that off the board if it's at all possible, or if it gets on the board, make sure you snap, make sure you snap it. He, he will invest in, you know, if he's got, if he's playing a Kiln Fiend version, he'll, he'll try to make a whole bunch of plays on one turn to pump up the Kiln Fiend so that he doubles up his burn. And if he succeeds in doing it, then you're in a lot of trouble. So there's there there you go. You play it like a play it like like you want to try to do twenty damage to him and he won't interact with your game plan at all unless it's unless it's by method of um searing blaze. So oh and by the way, if you do something like snap the creature in response to Searing Blaze, that doesn't counter Searing Blaze because Searing Blaze actually has two targets. So don't make that mistake. Um, that you're thinking you're making a clever play to uh, to fizzle the Searing Blaze and save yourself some damage. That doesn't work. That's good advice, and I'm assuming that out of the board, probably just Hydroblast and perhaps Dispel. Dispel, definitely Dispel. Yeah. And again, though, the most the most dangerous cards that you that you're going to have that he's that, that he will have for you are the ones that do more than three damage. Those are Flame Rift, which do four. Um, but that does four to everyone, so potentially that could actually tie the game. Fire Blast. And then the last one is Keldon, Mara- Keldon Marauders. So those are the ones you want to try to counter more than anything else. There's no need to counter the first Lava Spike or the second Lava Spike group and the third Lava Spike. Only counter him, only counter him if, you know, it's the last spell he can play on that turn and if you've got multiple counters and not enough mana to use all of them, that's when you would use it. Because there's nothing worse than dying later when you have more counters and you just can't use them all. So you might as well get the use out of them to save the three life. And your life total is is the number one resource at a, a lot of these games. So, I mean, you know, I, I can't think there's anything. Don't play Gataxian Probe against them. <laughs> you know, or certainly side out the Gataxian Probes because that's uh, – it's not worth uh, – you know, you pay two life. Oh, I wonder what he has. Oh, look, he has a lot of burn. Okay. <laughs> All right, I shocked myself. That, was, yeah. that wasn't so good. <laughs> yeah. You know, should you side out something like Phantasmal Bears? Absolutely not. Phantasmal Bears are great against him. If he wants to spend a card killing one of your guys, that's great. That's fine. Okay, so we are winding things down here. I think we just got a couple left. So we'll go ahead and talk a little bit about the Hexproof deck that uses pretty much all the cheap Hexproof creatures in green and it has some enchantments for the land, their land base, and then is pretty much all enchantment auras for their creatures to boost them up. So this is one that you and I were talking about a little earlier, but we didn't have a huge, hugely conclusive consensus on this one. But we can talk about it just a little bit here. So, so what are your thoughts on on this matchup here? Well, I have a gut feeling. My gut feeling is that this matchup is favorable for you. 
um, and I'll tell you why. They they don't have any interaction for you, right? They have nothing on their side of the board that reaches out and does anything to your side of the board. And in fact, most of the time, they can't even block your things unless they put a frog tongue on something. You've got two avenues of attack. They've only really got 12 hexproof creatures, right? I mean, that's that's it. That's all they have. That's that's all they even have access to, unless they want to run something like Sacred Wolf. Which wait a minute, is Sacred Wolf even common? Yes. Yeah, Sacred Wolf is common. Yeah, so but but they don't run Sacred Wolf. So unless they want to run something like Sacred Wolf, they only really have access to 12 creatures. So so those are the only ones that they can really afford to enchant up. Because if they enchant up a, an Oranarlid, you blow them out with Snap, and you you get rid of all their enchantments. So you can sort of play them the way you used to play Infect, which is pretend that every creature that they have is a deadly threat, and don't let their creatures hit the board. This relies on you actually being able to stop their first creatures. And, and you know, you know if you're going to be able to do this or not. So if you can stop their first two or three creatures, then they can have all the auras they want in their hand, but they can't put them on anything. And then you're, you're safe. So, so that is definitely is one way around it. Now, alternately, they get a creature out before you get set up. Let's say they, they're on the play and they drop a, they drop a slippery boggle before you can make a play. Okay. Now, now they've got something that you've got to deal with and you can't, you can't stop them. So you now have to stop their auras. Now you have to realize what their key auras are and the auras that, the only auras that you should be countering and the auras that you should make sure that don't hit the board are the following. And I would say in order of dangerous, most dangerous to least dangerous are the most dangerous are they have, I think, is Armadillo Cloak. Because Armadillo Cloak lets them gain life every time they hit you, and it gives the creature trample. So it means you can no longer chump, and you can no longer race. So the next most dangerous one that they have is Rancor, because Rancor gives gives the creature trample. Because the idea is, if you're racing him, you can you can maybe chump a couple of times, and you know you know stop a a, a 35 power creature from hitting you with a 1/1 cloud of fairies that's that's a that's a great deal so that's the next most dangerous one because that prevents you from chumping and and it, because trample is just so incredibly deadly the next most dangerous is ethereal armor because ethereal armor is cheap and it boosts uh, the creature. It gives the creature plus one, plus one for every enchantment that's on the battlefield. And then the next most dangerous after that is ancestral mass. Uh, the other mo- the other dangerous thing he has is an aura gnarled, which is sort of like a creature with a built-in ancestral mask. But again, I think you're favored in this matchup because you've got the ability to attack him while he doesn't really have the ability to defend against your attacks. And at the same time, you can mostly block his guys and you can stop the the ones that break through for him. So you stop the Aura Gnarlids, you stop the you stop the Rancors, you stop the Armadillo Cloaks, and that really cuts down what his options are, because now he's got to attack you with a big giant guy that doesn't trample. So you chump it, and then you chump it again and again and again and again until you've killed him with your guys that he's not able to stop. As far as sideboard options go, you don't really have any unless you're running curfew. Yeah, basically, and maybe a null would be another option, but again, has very limited applications in the metagame, I feel. So that's that's a tax proof, right? Yes, it is, and that leaves us with the various flavors of Temporal Fisher, which is everyone's favorite win condition in this format uh, to face, 
And we actually talked a little bit about one of these matchups in our previous episode, episode 21 with Dog Biscuit, and that was the Simic Storm deck that uses land enchantments. So I'll just quickly kind of recap some of the things he mentioned. And he felt that it was very dependent on the play skill of the Delver player because we do see this deck is very popular. So a lot of people are picking it up and they have various levels of experience and various levels of proficiency with this deck. Um, and one of the things that he said was very important was the card Spell Stutter Sprite. And it's, it is very important for him to try and play around that when he could. And they can be very dangerous. The Delver deck can be very dangerous hitting like a turn two ninja on the play because the Simic deck can't really interact with that. So that, and that yeah. will pressure them to try and go off sooner. So Delver does have some tools at their disposal. Uh, but the Simic deck in, in Dog Biscuit's experience has been overall, you know, very, uh, he's, he's had great success with it across the board. So it's not by any means like a, a disadvantageous matchup. I think it just really depends on how good the Delver player is and, you know, what cards specifically come into play. So from yeah. there, we can go ahead and talk about some of the other Temporal Fisher decks. Probably Esper would be a good place to start here. Delver is going to win when Delver drops early aggro and then has disruption to successfully fizzle the combo player because the combo player had to try to go off too early because of Delver's early pressure. That's the summary of how you win those matchups. The summary of how you lose is you don't pressure them hard enough and so they go off even through your disruption because your disruption is not a class disruption compared to the disruption that like a mono blue post deck brings to the brings to the table like much more powerful counter magic and much more much more better integrated control package so esper storm has cheats on mana by using familiars which are Nightscape Familiar and Sunscape Familiar. So once he reduces all the blue casting costs, he can use all of the overly expensive blue spells, like uh, 4C, which is a great spell, deep analysis, and then flashes it back. He casts a Muldrifter for a single blue mana. All sorts of blue card draw spells that are very, very powerful. So the idea is you've got to attack in, on some dimension. And he's got three things that he's doing. He's 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 dropping familiars to cut the cost of his his card selection and card draw. He's got card selection and card draw, and then he's got a mana generation engine. And and the mana generation engine works by using snap and cloud of fairies to untap lands uh, that generate more than one mana apiece. So the question is, how do you not let them get there? So you can either pressure his familiars, so he has to pay full price for his for his spells. You can pressure his card draw spells, so he has to uh, go off with what he has in his hand, or he has to draw things on the natural, and then and then use those to go off. Or you can try to pressure his mana generation, pressure his mana generation by not letting him have the untap and the tap and untap spells. You can't spread your disruption across more than one of those categories because I think that they'll they'll successfully be able to get around it. I think it's a it's it's a not I think it's not a totally unfavorable matchup, but I don't think it's if it's if it's favorable, it's only slightly favorable in your favor. And I think that again, I think that I think that there's a lot of uh, play skill involved in playing that deck and a lot of tolerance for uh, for being rote and repetitive and just, you know, sort of playing with your own stuff. Yeah. 
so so I don't know how popular the deck will grow, and I think that will limit the popularity of the deck in the long run. And I think that it will always be better than uh, its popularity. Now, the third Storm deck is is blue-green or mono-blue Cloud Post Fissure, which instead of using familiars or land enchantments, it uses the fact that Cloud Post generates extra mana every time you tap it so to uh, to go off. That deck definitely plays a little bit differently. It usually it sits there and it tries to uh, it sets up with fade away two and a blue for a sorcery and it's for every creature in play its owner can either pay one mana or sacrifice a permanent. So if you have four creatures in play, you either pay four mana and sacrifice zero permanents, or you pay zero mana and you sacrifice four permanents or any combination of those two. So so basically, don't overextend into that card, and you, you have to know that that's going to be their primary weapon. That's blue-green combo post's primary weapon against Delver. The Esper Storm version doesn't necessarily need to have Cloud of Fairies and a, and a Mnemonic Wall or a Chaomancer in play to win the game, because it can, it can combo off with... Card draw into card draw into card draw into card draw into make some mana into make some mana and then storm. Blue green post storm is a little more finite and limited. It needs to have sort of the infinite, it needs to have the infinite mana combo of Cloud of Fairies or Chaomancer in play. So if you can prevent a Cloud of Fairies from getting in play, and you can prevent Archaeomancer from getting in play, he basically has no way to go off. He can cast a few spells and then temporal fissure two or three things, but he can't go off and go infinite unless he gets those cards in play. And once they're in his graveyard, the Archaeomancer and the Cloud of Fairies are safe in his graveyard. He has no way to recur to recur creatures that go to his graveyard. He only has ways to recur his spells that go to the graveyard. So basically the idea is keep the board clear of Cloud of Fairies and Archaeomancers, and you're pretty safe against the blue-green post version. I think, like you've mentioned, there aren't a ton of sideboard options here. I have been seeing Boomerang show up in yeah. some Delver sideboards, and I'm guessing that's normally trying to hit some of these, you know, big mana producing lands. Well, that's that's Boomerang is excellent against against blue green land enchant storm. You know, he invests all of these spells in a – he invests all of these auras on his one land so that his land makes a lot of mana. And then you bounce it and you kill all of those auras. So that's great. And it's decent against um, Esper Storm because Esper Storm plays these – plays these um, – the Karoo lands. So, yeah, I mean Boomerang is a – Boomerang is a good card for two out of the three matchups. So I think we can wrap up the Temporal Fisher decks here, and that will also wrap up all of the matchups for Mono Blue Delver. So that's going to bring us to our concluding thoughts on this deck. And I will go ahead and just do some quick thoughts, and then I'll turn it over to you. Uh, first of all, I just think that this has been a really fantastic clinic on this deck, and I, I think the information you've brought is really crucial for a lot of players that it's going to make the difference between the the newer less experienced players and the ones that can really pilot this to these impressive results 
I think that people should go back and listen to this episode for these types of tips. You gave a lot of great information on, on how to pilot the deck and the mindset and the philosophy behind it. And that's really important. So that's what I want people to focus on. Do you have any final thoughts on this Delver deck? Yeah, no, right, right along the same lines of, as what you were saying. I think the most important thing to think of is, is especially, you know, the play tips are good, but I think the most important thing to think of is, how do you want to win the game and how does every action advance to a state where you where you've got a, a, a game winning state? Um, and that's really more important with with a deck like Delver than, than it is with any other deck because it's a tempo deck and you don't have the straight up power that a lot of decks have. You have ways to hold your opponent off for a long time. So you have to think, you have to think about your plays and you have to think about your opponent's plays and you have to think about how to interact with them. But more you have to think overall, how do I move the game to a winning state? So from there, I think we can take it to doing some final shout outs and giving people uh, some information on how to contact us. So I just want to first of all give you a huge shout out, John, for coming here on short notice, but also just completely killing it today and and providing such great information on this deck. Uh, I also want to shout out just all the listeners and everyone who's following on Twitter, helping me, uh, giving me feedback on the show, you know, retweeting and replying and all that. And a big shout out to Gabo Cheeto, who's staying plugged in with the show, even though he's taking some time off. So big shout out to all you guys. And as far as contacting me, there's several ways you can do that. First of all, you can follow me on Twitter at DimeCollectorSC. You can also check out my YouTube page, which is YouTube.com slash DimeCollectorSC. You can find me on MTGO occasionally. My ID is Bamboo Rush. And the, the clan that New Plan and I are both a part of is called Popper Gnomes. I do write for MTGOacademy.com. My series is called Dime a Dozen. I also write for blackborder.com and that series is called common ground if you want to contact the show itself you can email us popperscage at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at popperscage and the blog that you can check out is popperscage.blogspot.ca <laughs> but uh anyway how about for you john do you have any shout outs and you want to let people know how they can get a hold of you yeah, no, I mean, I'm new plan. I'm new plan on uh, on MTGO, um, and sometimes I, I just want to warn everybody. Sometimes I get cranky if I'm in the middle of a match because I play a lot of decks that take a lot of time, uh, <laughs> and I don't like losing to timeouts. So, so if if I'm in a round, if I'm in a round, I'll I'll, I'll say hi and I'll always chat with anybody. But uh, but please, if I'm in a round and I say I say I'm in a round, then uh, then just you know give me give me give me give me some space and I definitely will chat with anybody and I'll I'll play with people and all that. But please, that. <laughs> um and uh yeah that's uh that's if you're interested in Popper then uh then you can contact Jason and I at uh on on MTGO and and. and find out about joining Popper Gnomes, which is a very nice uh, Popper clan. Nice. Well, on that note, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. So thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be coming back for episode 23. But until then, take care. And once again, thanks for listening. Take care, everybody, and thanks for having me on. Oh, no.